Well, we're looking at change, and there's all sorts of different ways that we could explore around that. And if you weren't here last week, would encourage you to go back and uh, listen to last week's. But one of the areas that maybe you think about when you think about change is that all of us want to be accepted. All of us want to have an experience of being approved of, being loved, being, uh, even if you want to put significance on that, we want to have an experience where we feel like our life matters, that we're not kind of wasted space or a wasted person. We, we want to feel that, okay, I'm, I'm accepted by others, I'm approved, I'm okay, just kind of in my own identity. We want to feel that experience of, I'm okay, I'm good, other people think that as well, I'm approved, I'm accepted, or even the converse of that, we want to avoid humiliation and being thought of as less than. We want that experience of being validated. And there's a lot of ways that you can think of probably at different times in your life where you've had that, and it feels good. Whether that's graduation and there's an experience of, okay, I've accomplished something. And we have ceremonies around those different things where you've achieved something and it feels good to celebrate in that moment. We want an experience of validation. That might be even just in social media. Think about a, a social media world where there was no like buttons and no hearts and no retweets. It would be done in a matter of days. People would say, this is worthless. I, no one's liking my stuff. No one's sharing my stuff. No one's hitting the heart button. I don't, why, would I, why would I share a picture of myself if someone can't heart it? We want an experience of being validated. It feels good to be validated. It feels good to be invited into things and know that, hey, people want me. People like me. That, that feels good. It is an experience that we enjoy, and when we have it, it's great, right? If you had someone come up to you today and say, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you and how well I think you are at whatever it is, how good I think you are at this or that, you would say, wow, that, that feels really nice, right? Whether you get that at work or from your friends or family or parents or whatever it is, it's a good experience that we enjoy, but we struggle to live in that. Many of us struggle with either feeling like a failure in our life. Maybe we're not where we thought we would be or where we want to be. And that can be true in our career. It can be true in our relationships. It can be true just when we even look at our own kind of morality that we're, we're not where we wanted to be. And we can look at our life and feel like we're a failure or feel inadequate, or sometimes we kind of categorize that as feelings of low self-esteem or self-worth that we feel like, man, I, I lack worth. We, we live in that experience often. We want to be validated and to experience approval and acceptance and significance, and I'm okay. And yet, a lot of times we struggle to, to live in that. I always think of uh, the Rocky movies, and I'm sure that's what you think of, you know, on most Sundays. But um, in, in the Rocky movies, and, and part of the reason I think about them is because they've spanned, uh, I think, like 300 years. There's been so many of them. 
And the, there's the first five, which are great. The fifth one's the best one. I know that's a very unpopular opinion, um, but the, the fifth one's the best. And then after that, there's, there's Creed 1 and Creed 2 and Creed 3 is coming up. And there was also, I forgot, um, Rocky just had another one just by himself as an older man. So there's been, honestly, at least, I think, eight of them now that there's been and the ninth one that's coming up. So they've spanned a long time, Okay. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise you. Um, I'm just going, I'm actually just going to show the Rocky movies. Uh, I didn't have time to prepare a sermon today. Um, The the first Rocky movie, Rocky says something about this. He says, "I, I need to be able to win, or actually he doesn't say win. He says he just needs to be able to go the distance. I need to be able to go the distance because I need to be able to prove that I'm not a bum. And so really for him, fighting, Winning is about not being a bum. He wants to know that he's not just kind of this street kid from Philly, but that he's actually somebody. Okay, that's the first one made back in the 70s, I think. Okay, and then then the second one, similar themes. Third one, similar themes. Fourth one, similar themes. All the way now into the late 2000s, Creed won. What Creed says is this, as he's like losing in the ring, Rocky says, I'm, Rocky's his coach, I'm gonna call it. And, and he says, no, no. And he says, why? Why can't I call the fight? And he says, I have to, let me just make sure I get it right. He says, I have to prove, prove what, Rocky says, that I'm not a mistake. Same thing. Generations of movies, generations of stories, same thing. Creed two. even after Creed wins, sorry, spoiler alert, even after Creed wins, Creed 2, and if you look at the trailer even, his, his girlfriend says to him, what, you didn't get your validation? You, you won already, but you, didn't, you don't feel validated? You didn't get your validation? And no, he doesn't. He's got to prove that he, he can do it. And I don't know what's going to happen in Creed 3, but I guarantee it's going to be something very similar. And part of why I, I think that this I, I find fascinating is because there's decades and decades and decades of movies, and for some of us, that's our life. I think in a lot of ways for all of us, that however long you've lived, it doesn't go away. The feeling of fighting for, I want to matter. I want to prove I'm not a mistake. I want to prove I'm not a bum. And it doesn't matter how many sequels in our lives, it doesn't matter how many, it doesn't matter how many years go by or how many successes go by, we still often feel like I'm fighting for my worth. I'm fighting not to be seen or feel as a failure or inadequate. We want the experience of validation. It's a beautiful thing. But we struggle to live in it. And it's actually the source of many of our problems in ourself internally and in our relationships. We might not always know that that's the source of many of our problems, but it is. We will explore that today. What if you could live in an experience of validation and approval and acceptance? What if you could live in that? Think of a time that you've had that. What if you could live in that reality? If it wasn't an up and down, what if there only had to be one Rocky movie and then he was able to say, I'm not a bum, there it is, the end. It would be sad for us, but good for Rocky. If you are not a Christian today and you're exploring faith, this is actually one of the things that's offered to you in Christianity. It's one of the things that's offered to you in a relationship with Jesus an experience of validation that you can live in. 
If you're someone that is a Christian and still struggle, this is one of the key areas and one of the key things that we have to constantly come back to over and over again. And it cures many things and helps many things in our life. So the question really I want us to explore today as we talk about change is how can we live in approval? How can we live with a stable identity that doesn't go up and down? How can we live in a sense of worth that is completely solid? Jesus wants to speak into that. And that's what we're going to look at today in this short story that Jesus tells. Luke 18 says this, He also told this parable. Jesus is telling this a parable is a short story. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. So Jesus tells this short little story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the religious leaders of the time, and the other, a tax collector. And again, we don't, we don't um, for us today in 2021, probably you don't think positively of tax collectors, but you might not say religious leader, tax collector. Those don't seem like opposite ends of the spectrum, but when Jesus is speaking, the tax collectors were the worst of the worst. The closest analogy would have to be something like a Jew that collaborated with the Nazis during World War II. The tax collectors were people that collaborated with the Roman government who was occupying Jerusalem. They collaborated with them to take money from the people. And it wasn't just collecting taxes and you know, pay, your, pay your dues from your work. These people, they were fleecing people. They were taking way more than they needed to take. They were, they were oppressing people. They were despised. They were hated. Which is why often it uses the tax collector as shorthand for the worst of the worst people that everyone hated. Sometimes it'll even say sinners and tax collectors because it's just this group of people that were thought of as the worst, okay? So there's the Pharisee, the religious leader, and the tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Story ends. Jesus says, I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this story helps us with this idea of validation and approval and acceptance and significance. There's kind of two words in this story about righteousness and justified. And they deal with those ideas. They deal with that experience. When you hear the word righteous, you might just think of being a good person. But to be righteous or to be justified is to be found Good, it's to be found approved, it's to be found accepted, it's to be validated by God. It has to do with this experience, and this story really gives us two different ways 
that we can pursue this experience of validation, approval, acceptance, knowing that I'm okay. It gives us two different ways. So we're going to look at each of these ways and explore them together as we pursue change this morning. The first way is to work. How can you get this experience of righteousness or validation or acceptance? The first way is to work for it, to seek to earn it. Here's what Jesus says as he tells the story. It says he tells it to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So the story and the Pharisee is representative of this group is told to people that trust in themselves, in their abilities, in their powers, in their efforts, in their work that they can do to be righteous or validated or acceptable or approvable. That's the first way. And I always find it kind of helpful to think about this. And I want to kind of just really uh, dissect this. I always find it helpful to think about this as a ladder. And if you think about a ladder and then you think about at the top is righteousness or being approved or being accepted or being validated. So we want this, right? We want to be righteous, to be approved, to be accepted, to be validated. That's what we want. That's the experience that we are desiring. And that righteousness, if, if this is us, that righteousness could be all sorts of things for different kinds of people. For some, it might be religiously oriented, like the Pharisee. For others, it can just be, it really can be anything. Anything that you say, if I get this, I know I'm okay. If I live the right way and achieve this, then I know I am validated. I am accepted. For Rocky, it was, it was going the distance. For Creed, it was winning the fight. For you, it's probably not that. None of you look that strong. It's probably something else. <laughs> I'm just joking. You all look so wonderfully strong. Um, <clears throat> see, I just validated you. There you go. You're good. It could be your family, right? It could be if, I, I want, I, if I'm a good mom or if I'm a good dad, then I know I'm okay. It could be being a good friend. It could be anything that you say. This is, it could be your job. Doing a good job at your work. Making a certain amount of money. Being, uh, going far, getting promoted. Moving ahead in your career. It could be your ethics and your morality. Not failing in these ways and doing a good job in these ways. It can be just your beliefs and values I want to be a kind of person that's open-minded or I want to be a kind of person that's flexible or I want to be a kind of person that is generous or gracious or compassionate or someone that is, uh, cares about justice or all sorts of things that, that we have beliefs and values about. It could be things that is our own kind of compassion and care for other people. Anything that we say, if I live like this, if I embody this, I know that's what I'm working for. I'm okay. That's how I know I'm a good person. That's how I know I'm, that I have worth, that I'm acceptable, that I'm approvable, anything like that, okay? It can be making an impact in the world. It can be all sorts of things. The, the helpful thing to think about is just, what is it that I look to and say, if I do this, or if I'm like this, or if I have this, that's what makes me good. That's, what, that's how I know I'm okay. That's how I know I'm not a bum. That's 
righteousness. And it's actually, as we, as we think about the first way of working for this, it's the source of many of our problems. Working for that righteousness and trusting in ourselves, as Jesus says, for that righteousness is the source of many of our problems. And a lot of times we don't actually realize that it's causing problems. Let me give you kind of two different categories of how it affects us and then how it affects our relationships. If you think about how it affects us, one way to think about it is pride. And this is really for the Pharisee. Pharisee shows up and what does he say? He says, I thank you that, that I am, I'm not an adulterer. I'm, I'm not, I don't remember all the things he says, but he says, I, I fast twice a week. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. He says, I give a tenth of everything I have. I mean, he's living a good life. He kind of goes through some of the commandments. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not greedy. I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you, God, that I'm like that. And it can create, if you are working for your righteousness and you feel like you're at the top, it can create a sense of pride. And I don't mean that in a positive sense, but it can create a sense of self-righteousness. That's where that comes from. It can create a sense of superiority. It can create a sense. And listen, if you, if you were to talk to this Pharisee, his, he thinks his life is going great, right? So you might not feel that you've got all these problems. You might actually feel life is good. I thank God that I'm moral, that I'm doing these things, and I'm not doing these things. This might be where some of us are. Maybe some of us are top of the ladder people. We have an experience where life is going well, life is going good, we're at the top, and it feels good. Some of us might feel more of an experience of being at the bottom of the ladder. We feel down because there's something at the top of righteousness and how I know that I'm good, how I know that I'm okay, how I know that I'm acceptable, how I know that I'm validated, and we don't have it. We don't have it. Where do you look at your life and you say, I know that I'm, I'm not there? Where do you look at your life and you actually experience a sense of disappointment that you say, I'm, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not getting what I want to get. I've let myself down. Where in your life do you say this? I am failing at who I thought I could be, who I thought I should be. I'm not as good of a friend, mom, father, husband, wife, in my job. I'm not living up to the morality that I have or that I say that I have. And you actually feel down. You feel guilt. You feel shame. You feel failure. You feel the low part of the experience where you might feel like I've really let myself down. From what? From this. I've failed my own standards of who I want to be. Maybe even at times what this creates is an apathy to not even try anymore because you've lived so much, you've tried so much to get up there, but it feels so insurmountable. And so why even try? Why even try again on this? Why even try again on that? It's not even worth it. So you might be a top of the ladder person. You might be a bottom of the ladder person, or you might be a tired, stressed out person who lives maybe more life in the middle. You're, you don't feel like, I, I'm there, I've got it, and you don't feel like, man, I just keep letting myself down, I'm failing. You feel in the middle, 
But that's an experience of climbing, of trying, of I gotta keep going. And a lot of times in this state, we feel stressed, we feel burnt out, we feel like I keep trying, I keep working, I'm, but I, there's always another rung, there's always another thing to get to. Never quite sure that it's enough just living in that middle state. And a lot of times I think a lot of Christians live in this spot. I think a lot of times you don't necessarily feel like you've hit the bottom and you don't necessarily feel like you've reached the top, but you feel just like, I'm, I'm not really sure where I'm at. I'm not really sure. And we feel an uncertainty even in our relationship with God. You may believe that God has saved you. You may believe that you've been saved by Jesus, but you also feel uncertain, unsure. I think of Saving Private Ryan. This was a movie that came out, you know, a handful of years ago now. Long time ago, I guess. I watched Rocky and Saving Private Ryan, okay? So... And the movie's called Saving Private Ryan, right? It's about this story of Tom Hanks saving Private Ryan. It's a story of salvation that's given to one man, which if you think about it, is very similar to our spiritual life. We believe we have been saved. And at the very end, so many people die, so many people have to sacrifice, so many people have to go through all, all of this stuff, so many metaphors for spirituality, death and sacrifice to save one man. Now, here's where it veers off from Christianity. Uh, I don't know even what his name is, but Tom Hanks says, I think it's Captain James, he says, earn it to, to Private Ryan. We've saved you, we've sacrificed for you, people have died, earn it. And at the very end of the movie, again, sorry, spoiler alert here, but at the very end of the movie, when Ryan is now old, he's standing at the captain's grave and he's talking to the captain. And he says this, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure how I'd come, I'd feel coming back here. Every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I tried to live my life the best that I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that, at least in your eyes, I've earned what all you have done for me. And then, the, uh, his wife is there and she says, James? And he says, tell me I've led a good life. She says, what? And he says, tell me I'm a good man. And she says, you are. That is an experience I think a lot of us have where we're in this middle and if you're a Christian, you may feel like you're Ryan and you've been saved by Jesus and now you've got to earn it. You want to hear, I've led a good life. I'm a good man. I'm a good worker. I'm a good father. I'm a good wife. Whatever it is, you want to believe and hear the words, you're good. And we're trying in God's eyes for the salvation that he's given to us. We're trying to earn it. And honestly, it leads to a lot of insecurity, just like with Ryan. And it leads to a lot of uncertainty and being unsure of how God feels about us and what God thinks of us and where we stand with him. And we can even be like Ryan, an old man at the end of our life and not even really be sure. Have I done enough? Have I been a good man? Have I earned it? So the first way is to work for it. 
You might be at the top of the ladder and you might be at the bottom of the ladder. You might be in that middle working. That's the first way. You can see some of the effect that it creates in us. But it also has an effect on our relationships. Look what Jesus says here. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. So you can't just have this. Um, you Automatically, if you trust in yourself for being righteous, what that automatically creates is not just identity battles within yourself. It has a relational effect. They're trusting in themselves that they're righteous and they look down on everyone else. So it creates an effect on us, but it also creates an effect on our relationships. And again, listen, we have a lot of relationship problems. And I'm not saying every single relationship problem we have is rooted here, but a lot of them are. And we often don't realize that this is where they come from. But many of them do. And let me give you kind of two ways that this can happen. First is that we can compare ourselves to others. And like the Pharisee, where we feel that we're doing better than others, I, the, I was going to say I love, I don't love, but it's comedically funny that the Pharisee says, thank you that I'm not like this, even this tax collector. I mean, imagine praying and then being like, and even Joe, thank you God that I'm not like, sorry, Joe, thank you that I'm not like Joe. I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. But when we trust in ourselves for our righteousness, if we are doing well, we will compare ourselves to people that are worse than us. We do this all the time. Again, don't just think morality. Think whatever it is for you that is the source of righteousness. If you're a really hard worker, you're going to look down on people that you feel like are lazy. God, thank you that I'm not like the people that show up late to work, that just kind of don't do a good job, that are just skating by. Thank you that I'm not like those people that, don't, that, that use their time poorly. Thank you that I'm not like those closed-minded people. Thank you that I'm not like those people that are open-minded to anything. Thank you that I'm not like whatever it is that we feel, this is the standard. This is how I know I'm good and okay. This is what creates a judgmentalism towards other people. Who do you compare yourself to? Who do you look down on? Again, it can be morally, relationally, values, all sorts of things. When's the last time you had an experience where you felt like, I'm glad I'm not like them, or just frustrated by people? Those are people that you think are lower on the ladder. You feel like whether you're at the top or at least you're one rung above them, you feel a superiority to. It creates a judgment. But it can also create a jealousy if we're, at the bottom and there at the top. We look at people above us and we say, oh man, I wish I had that. I wish I was good at that like they are. I wish I was that smart. I wish I was that wise. I wish I could do things the way they did. I wish I was the kind of friend that they are. I wish I was at that place in my career like them. I wish I could work hard like them. I wish I was as disciplined as them. I wish I was as flexible as them. I wish I didn't get angry like them. I wish I cared more about things and had more passion. We can feel a jealousy or maybe just not jealousy, but just low again, feeling bad as we look at other people. We compare ourselves to people and we either feel better than them or we feel worse than them. When we trust in ourselves for a sense of righteousness, it creates an effect on our relationships with comparing. It also creates an effect on our relationships where we just need people's approval. 
So get, getting rid of the second ladder and comparing to people, wherever we are on the ladder, we need other people to give us the validation and recognition that we desire. We need other people to see what we're doing. We need other people to see the progress that we've made. We need other people to appreciate the rungs that we've climbed or where we are. This is part of why so many of us are so anxious in our relationships or even feel very defensive in our relationships. It's kind of two sides of the same coin that we both want people's approval and are very sensitive to criticism. Very sensitive to people's criticism because they're not just saying, hey, you're kind of low on the ladder. What they're saying is, you're not acceptable. That's what it feels like. You're a bum. You're a mistake. You don't have worth. You don't have value. It feels like that to us. The experience of criticism feels like we're being pushed down from a sense of righteousness. So we crave people's approval and we're very touchy and defensive. Anytime someone might offer a criticism or a critique of us. Think of the last time that somebody said something to you and it stung Probably, whatever reason it stung was because that for you is a source of your righteousness. That's how you know you're okay. So, you feel any of these? These are present. And even if they're all jumbled up, even if you don't have a nice, you know, fancy ladder illustration in your life, this is what the experience is of working for our righteousness. There's two different ways to get the experience of justification or righteousness or validation or acceptance or approval. There's two different ways to get that. The first way is to work for it, or as Jesus says, to trust in ourselves to get it. And listen, this way, obviously, doesn't work. God wants us to be free of this. He wants us to be free of the the experience of living on the ladder. Now, let me just, I want to point out one thing before I show you the second way, because it's so important. I don't want you to miss this. This guy, the Pharisee, is great. Like, we would probably want to be friends with him. I would love him to come to this church. I'm not an adulterer. That's awesome. I'm not greedy. That's great. He fasts twice a week. He's spiritually committed. He gives a tenth of his money. I mean, he's a generous, loving husband. He's a a devoted follower of God. He goes to church. I mean, he's awesome. And he thanks God for that. He doesn't say, I'm so glad that I'm like this all by myself. He says, God, I thank you that this is how I am. He gives God thanks for who he is. So if you look at your life and you feel thankful to God that you're not bad and thankful to God that you are good, you might be this guy. But here's the key, and this is why this is so important and can liberate some of us even that have been Christians for a long time, like this guy. Still in that, Jesus says the problem was he's trusting his righteousness. 
he's trusting his righteousness. He believes God gave it to him. He thanks God for it, but it's still his. He's trusting God for the righteousness that God has created in him and says, that's how I know I'm good. God, I thank you that you've empowered me. I thank you that you've enabled me. I thank you that you've helped me see things. I I thank you that you've brought about change in my life. But the way that I know I'm righteous, acceptable, validated, good is because of the righteousness that I have that you gave me. That's the first way. The second way is righteousness as a gift. Righteousness as a gift. And the second man is the one that embodies this, where he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in that statement, we can see a couple things. We can see, sorry, there it is. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We can see this, back to the ladder, that at the top is God, and he knows who God is. He knows that God is holy, that God is perfect, that God is just, that God is righteous. He knows that about God. He knows that all the sins that he's done, he knows that all the ways that he has lived his life that have been far from who God is and what God says, he knows God's not just okay with that. He knows God is a holy, righteous, just God. And he knows that he's a sinner. There he is, tipped over. <clears throat> it says he can't even, he can't even look up. He, the Pharisee is standing, which to us might feel a little weird, but that, that's actually just one of the normal postures that they had of prayer, so that's not trying to say something particularly self-righteous about him. But we do see in this person a humility. He can't even look up. He's on the ground. He's on the ground and knows, I know who God is as holy, just, and righteous. And I know who I am as a sinner. I know who I am that I could never climb the ladder. I, he, he rightly sees himself. I know I'm a sinner. He's not trying to ignore these things. He's not trying to pretend that they're not there. He's not trying to say, I, I actually am better than this. I am good. I am loving. I, he's not trying to assert his self-esteem or self-worth with affirmation statements. He knows I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. And he knows what his need is. He knows who God is. He knows himself. And he knows his need. He doesn't just say to God, God, can you just let me off the hook? He doesn't say, God, can you just kind of be nice to me? I, I know you're a really nice God. He says, have mercy on me. But that word mercy is actually the Greek word hilaskamai, which means propitiation, which is a word we don't often use. But it's a word that has to do with the sacrificial system that they used. He's actually saying, God, propitiate my sin, which is to say, cover it through the sacrifices that are being done in the temple. Animal sacrifices were done on an annual basis and on a regular basis to atone for or to cover or to 
propitiate, which is to take away, to remove the wrath of God towards sin. That as sinners, we justly deserve death. We justly deserve condemnation. We justly deserve to be separated from God. And yet God provided a way to say, instead of you dying, the sins were put upon an animal. And so that's what he's actually saying. He's not just saying, God, be nice to me. He's saying, propitiate my sins. God, right now in this temple, cover my sins. Forgive them based on the death of an animal instead of me. And that word propitiation or hiloskamai is sometimes translated as atonement, which I, I just think this is a helpful definition from the, one of the Bible encyclopedias, which I'm sure you all read regularly, but it says, um, it, this is the definition of atonement. It says, in Christian thought, the act by which God and man are brought together in personal relationship. The term atonement is derived from Anglo-Saxon words meaning making at one, hence at one mint. You may have never known that that's what atonement means, but if you break down those words, that's where it comes from, is to make at one or to reconcile. That's how propitiation is often translated. Here is from Hebrews what it says about Jesus. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he, be, he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make hiloskamai, to make atonement for the sins of the people. So here's what happens. This man is in the temple. He knows himself. He knows God. And he knows his need. His need isn't just for God to be nice. His need is for his sins to be atoned for, to be propitiated. Now we know that when Jesus comes, he is the ultimate one that makes atonement. We don't sacrifice animals today. Next week, if you come, we might do that. But no, I'm just kidding. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus is the one that says, I am the sacrificial lamb and I am the one that makes atonement. I am the one that propitiates. I am the one that allows us to be at, to allows you and I to be at one with God. So he knows who God is. He knows his sin and he knows his, his need for a sacrifice for someone to atone for the sins, to make him at one with God again. Here's how the Bible says it about Jesus being the one that gives this to us and just show you this picture that it is us at the bottom, Jesus who is the perfect, the righteous one, who lived the perfect righteous life. And yet it says this, about God and Jesus, he made the one, Jesus, he, God the Father, made the one, Jesus, he made the one who did not know sin, Jesus did not sin at all, he lived the perfect righteous life, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him, which means when we are connected to him, we might become the righteousness of God. That's that thing that we long for. We long for being righteous, acceptance, validation. And it says this, we are made at one with Jesus. We are united in him. That's what this tax collector is asking for. He's saying, my sins have separated me from you. 
there's no way I could ever earn them. There's no way I could ever uh, you know, work a certain amount of rungs on the ladder to be considered acceptable in your sight. There's no way I could ever earn this or be validated. There's no way I could live. No, no tenth of my money I could give. No fasting I could do. No not doing or actively doing that could get me righteousness. Nothing. Instead, what I need is mercy. Instead, what I need is atonement to be at one again with you. And the Bible says Jesus is the one that does that for you and I that he becomes the atonement, the propitiation, and that when we are connected in him, we become the righteousness of God. We become. We become, which is weird language, but it's to say you are fully in an experience because of your connection, not because of who you are, but because of your connection to Jesus, that we are made at one. We are made righteous, we are approved by God, accepted by God. This is so important because if, if, we think, if we think that Jesus is mainly our teacher or our example, then our life will mainly be, we think Jesus is kind of at the top telling us how to get up the steps. Jesus is a good example of, of one that lived up to the steps. Or Jesus is the teacher that tells us, here's how you live your life. Here's how you get up the steps. But that's not what the tax collector saw. And that's not what Christianity is. And that's not what will give us a stable identity. What it says is, Jesus is the perfect righteous one who has all the approval, all the acceptance, all the validation of God. And when you ask him to be merciful to you, you are made one with him so that you stand with him as the righteousness of God. This is the good news that is offered to us, which means that we can live in a stable identity, complete worth, complete value, complete acceptance, even though we sin, even though we live our life not climbing the ladder. Whether you feel like you've done a great job or you feel like you've done an awful job, it's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness, which would create a lot of things. It creates rest. It creates joy. It creates a humility towards other people instead of a judgment. It creates a rejoicing in other people instead of a jealousy. It creates a resilience so that when we're criticized, it's not crushing our identity. It creates um, whatever the opposite of a neediness is. We don't need other people's approval and acceptance because we already are fully righteous in him. The first way that we can try to get this experience is working for it. The second way is receiving it as a gift. So here's the final thing, which is just how do we respond? If this is the story that Jesus gives, what do we do? Kind of how do we respond to that? How do we access that in some ways? And just give you one other quick story. 
that Jesus follows it up with. Right after this, he says this, people were bringing infants to him so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus, however, invited them. Let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. These stories are connected. One is a parable, and then this is kind of a live illustration where Jesus is saying, you want the kingdom of God, or you want righteousness, or you want acceptance with God, or you want to live in that experience. The way you do that is by coming, let the little children come to me, and receiving. That we have to have the heart of a child, which is really displayed in those two words. To come to Jesus means that he's inviting all of us, wherever you are. Wherever you are, whoever you are, I love this invitation that follows up the story because here's what it means. Jesus sees, and if we're honest, it's there. Jesus sees the latter struggles that we have. He sees whether you're at the top, the middle, or the bottom, he sees the latter struggles that we have and he says, come here, come here. Listen, I, I don't know where you feel like you are. Maybe you feel like you're totally low and Jesus would say to you, okay, you've failed a bunch. Okay, you've disappointed yourself. Okay, a bunch of stuff is not, come here. Maybe you're like the Pharisee. And even today it's kind of pointed out and you're like, ugh. That is how I, I do thank God that I'm not like other people. And you don't like that mirror of self-righteousness and, and then feel like this. Okay, I need to work on my self-righteousness and then maybe God will accept me. But he says to both the Pharisee and the tax collector, come here. There's an invitation. He sees the latter struggles that we have and invites us to have a new identity to come to him and then to receive, which means he's giving us a gift. He gives to us a gift and we just have to receive it like a little kid. When a little kid gets a gift, they don't go, okay, let me just make sure I'm worthy of this gift first. Let me just kind of work, make sure I, they just tear it open. And he says, I'm giving you a gift and I want you to receive it. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism says this, which was, made in the 1500s, Protestant Reformation, says this, question 60, how were you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Whatever is true of Christ, God grants to us. As if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. That's the gospel. That's Christianity. 
It's not that we work for our righteousness. It's not even that we thank God for a righteousness that he gives to us. It's that we trust in his righteousness. We trust in what he's done for us. We trust in the gift of his forgiveness and in his validation only because of Jesus and that we can be at one with Jesus. We all want validation. We all want an experience of acceptance and approval. Like Rocky, like Creed, it's often a struggle. And we will either fight for that from ourselves or get it as a gift. And only as a gift is it stable. Only as a gift is it constant. When we take communion, which we're going to do in just a minute, for those of you that are Christians, in communion we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed to make atonement, to make propitiation, to remove our sins and give to us his righteousness as a gift. This is what communion remembers. This is what creates change in our hearts. One of the greatest areas of change that all of us long for and desire and is available to us as a gift. And so as we take communion, I want to encourage you a couple things. If you're not a Christian, pray. Say, I want that. If that's true, I want that. If I can have that, I want that. Like, like the tax collector, you don't have to have some fancy prayer. Like the tax collector, you can say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Based on what Jesus has done, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you're a Christian, listen, we all struggle with this. I struggle with this. You str- if you're not aware that you struggle with this, your eyes aren't open. We all struggle with this. And so today, confess where you have placed your righteousness in something else. And ask him again to forgive you and remind you that you're defined by the gift of righteousness in Jesus. Ask him to make that more real to your heart. And thank him that you get this free gift. Father, I I thank you for giving to us a righteousness that we could never earn. God, we can never make our way up the ladder. Some of us know that. Some of us don't know that. Some of us are tired. Some of us are low and down. Some of us are feeling great and feel like we're at the top of the ladder. Lord, I pray that you would lead our hearts to transfer our trust from our righteousness to the righteousness you've given to us in Jesus. Today, right now, But even as we go from here, let us live with an identity, a stable identity that's based on you, Jesus, not us. Amen.